Kyle Dyer, and welcome to Colorado Inside Out on this December 23rd, 2022. As we gather in our sweaters tonight to celebrate Christmas, Hanukkah, and the start of Kwanzaa next week, we're taking a moment to look back, much like you at home are doing with your friends and families as we all gather together this holiday season. For this week's panel, we have Patricia Calhoun, founder and editor of Westward, David Kopel, research director at the Independence Institute, also Krista Kafer, columnist for the Denver Post, and Kwame Spearman, co-owner and CEO of Tattered Cover Bookstore. So we're taking a look back at what transpired over 2022, Patty, Let's start with our midterm elections. Well, nationally, this was a story that obsessed people as we were preparing for the huge red tidal wave that was going to sweep everyone away, which in much of the country turned into a red trickle, and here in Colorado basically disappeared in a wave of blue. The story, I mean, of course, it started back in 2020 at the end of November with the election deniers, and we are still hearing from the election deniers. That's one story about the election. At least in Colorado, the election deniers went nowhere. They didn't even get the primary nod, which cost the Democrats who were trying to maneuver that a lot of money, but made this state not look like a bunch of idiots, so that was good. But the fact that Heidi Ganahl, as the governor's, uh, the Republican gubernatorial candidate, just wasn't strong enough to really give any help to anyone. There were some people who would have been good Republican office holders, like Pam Anderson would have been good. Lia Singh would have been good as treasurer. And they just didn't have a chance this year. So that's a big story. The State House, more Democrats than before. So no red wave there. And now we'll see how that carries over into the new year. But no election fraud, no election rigging. Colorado acquitted itself well. And it seems like it was so long ago now, doesn't it, David? Well, yeah, and, and Patty's saying election deniers weren't popular in Colorado, but they're, they're doing great in Washington, D.C. Look at the leadership of the House of Representatives. Kevin McCarthy, leader of the Republicans, denied the election in 2020 election two days after uh, election day. Uh, Hakeem Jeffries, the new Democratic leader, uh, had denied the 2016 election on over a, on a dozen different occasions. So remember, both parties in Congress, the representatives, chose as their leaders these shameless liar election deniers. Uh, so maybe you can't get get elected to the state house in Colorado as an election denier, but if you want to be at the top of Congress, uh, it, it seems a pretty good thing on your resume. In terms of the overall election results in Colorado, it's the difference between the one guy who starts studying for exams uh, during exam week, having skipped all the classes for the entire year, versus the other student who read all the textbooks over the summer before classes even started. The Colorado Democratic ultra-wealthy donor base, people like Jared Polis, two decades ago started investing in infrastructure building over the long term whereas their counterparts on the Republican side, uh, you know, they think of elections as like, oh, I'm going to write a big check for TV ads in October. Well, that's fine for the, the last four weeks of the election, but the election is really won in those hundred preceding weeks where the Republicans are off the field and the Democrats have the, this permanent uh, infrastructure. The Republicans are like a, a football owner who says, well, I, I could, we're going to win the game because we have a great running back. Oh, but I didn't put any offensive linemen on the field. 
<laughs> Krista. So I started to think about the Trump, uh, Trump's presence in the world as being kind of like long COVID, right? We no longer have, you know, the you know, January 6th is over, the hearings are over, but his pernicious influence lingers like long COVID. So you look at the races that were the most competitive around the country. Where Trump picked somebody, those guys did worse than any uh, non-Trump affiliated candidate in the region. So you look at Kemp, for example, one resoundingly in Georgia, Herschel Walker, uh, you know, Trump's man lost. And I think it's kind of, you know, it's fortunate that the IQ of the Senate isn't going to go down any thanks to that uh, guy losing. But here in Colorado, the only Trump affiliated candidate was Lauren Boebert. And if you look at her district, the Colorado Sun crunched some numbers and found out that she did worse than almost any statewide candidate, GOP candidate in her own district, the Trump candidate. Um, I'm hoping for her sake, at least for the, the sake of keeping another uh, Republican in that seat, that she learns from that and realizes that she doesn't need to, to tweet out inane things on a daily basis. She can actually mature in office because Trump's brand is it's heading out. Um, just like COVID, it is becoming a thing of the past. And as long as his influence stays, we're all going to feel a little bit sicker for it. I wonder if we will look back on the 2022 midterm and say that this was the death of social media. You know, polarization, I think, really took a hit. And it wasn't just Trump candidates. I think candidates on the left who were seen as more extreme have lost prominence, even if they didn't necessarily lose their elections. And if you look at 2016, I think through 2020, and really sort of uh, capstoning with the riot on our Capitol, we, we just lived in a world in which um, information wasn't as clear. And I think it was uh, really not in a way that's probably beneficial for our democracy. What was so exciting to me is that moderate candidates on both sides of the aisle won. And I somewhat respectfully disagree about, you know, Speaker McCarthy and um, Rep. Jeffries, uh, Rep. Jeffries. I actually think they've got a very unique opportunity to work together. The, the margins for the Republicans, something like eight or nine seats, for them to push legislation, they're going to have to get Democratic involvement. Obviously, it's going to have to go to a Democratic Senate. And so we have an opportunity, I think, to move past polarization and to start bringing ourselves together. And I think the biggest reason why we separated was because there's no notion of social media. So let's move past that. Okay. This year, we have seen, unfortunately, more evidence of the plight facing the Colorado River. The water levels are so low, David, that the situation is beyond calling it a drought. Well, and, right, and some people on the front range think who, who cares about the Colorado River, even though a great deal of the water we use on the front range comes from the Colorado River uh, through Trans Mountain diversions. The good thing this year is that the states that use the Colorado River successfully re resisted an attempted takeover by the federal government. The, the Federal Bureau of Reclamation owns and built reservoirs and dams along the Colorado River. They, they own that, but they don't own the water. Yet the Bureau of Reclamation said, oh, you guys, all, all the seven states that use Colorado River water, you all have to cut your use or we're going to take it all over and take over all your water rights. And states like Colorado, Wyoming, Utah, and New Mexico resisted and said, no, you can't do that. You have no legal right to do it. And we're not going to let you push us around. We manage the river with, with interstate agreements. But we, we have, as you said, a drastic decline of Colorado River water from about 15 million acre feet historically, and we're now at 11 million acre feet now. Now, some people say that's all because of global warming, but that's not close to sufficient to explain 
the change. And it's beyond the change that, that of course, happens always in the West when you, we, where we have frequent droughts. The forests are naturally thinned by fires, but the Forest Service suppresses the fire. The forests get really dense, so when there is a fire, it's a catastrophe. And when there's not a fire, that's a big cause of the declining flows into the Colorado River is overgrowth among natural forests. And on top of that, unnatural forests, the invasive tree species, the, the tamarisk, which is very water-hungry and grows much denser than native trees do. And researchers were doing a great job in finding ways to start thinning out and reducing the tamarisks until the federal government cut the funding because there's an endangered bird that lives in the tamarisk. Well, if it lives in the tamarisk, it ain't, the tamarisk is not the native habitat of any species in Colorado. And so just because of this, then we're stuck with the tamarisk problem. Okay. That was a lot. Very good. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> but he's right. There's a, a, a significant problem right now. There's less water and there's mm -hmm. a, a lot more population. We have seen people moving to Colorado, Arizona, Nevada, and that means that people need water to drink. Mm -hmm. And what I am optimistic about is that we do have some solutions on the table. We're seeing people replacing water-intensive turf, for example, uh, with, with native plants, with low-water plants, uh, with other kinds of low-water grasses and trees. We've got municipal governments getting on board to even help incentivize some of that. We've got a, a new sort of what's called toilet to tap, which sounds kind of gross, but we have the technology to take all of that water and produce clean water, and instead of putting it back in the river for a time and then taking it back out, we can actually turn that water around and use it as drinking water. We've got other things in the works of um, water conservation, and I, I just think it's an exciting time because there are things that we can do differently, whether it's paying farmers to use uh, you know, less water, um, fallow fields, or convert to low water crops like wheat. We have options, we're experimenting with them, and I think people realize that there is a problem and it needs solutions. And they're looking for solutions, which is big. You know, I, I believe climate change is real, but I think there's a bigger opportunity here, and I think our, our answers are reflecting that. There are a lot of things we can do to change our habits. And I think in the past we've been fighting over is climate change the source of all of these problems? And I think Colorado's leading the nation on this notion of let's actually solve everything, right? Our water levels are lower than what they've been during all of our lifetimes, and they are anticipated to keep getting lower. I want to get behind wastewater, but it's it's not, it, it you know, I've got water here. It doesn't work the same <laughs> oh, way. Oh, I was but, just going to take a sip. <laughs> but, but, but there are, are, are reasonable answers, and, and the one thing that I caution is that we've got to start changing our habits mm -hmm. today before we have to drastically change our habits moving forward. And hopefully this year-long coverage of this is raising people's attentions. Well, it's the 100-year anniversary of the Colorado River Compact. So you have all these states 100 years later realizing what has happened because people want bluegrass lands, grass, in not in Kentucky, mm -hmm. in Arizona, which is crazy. So you have an anniversary here. Xeriscaping was invented in Denver, the low-water plantings. So that's something everyone should celebrate and adopt. You see Aurora is, which used to be a bluegrass area, which is adopting it. People are definitely using low 
uh, low flow toilets, if not into your water glass, um, Kwame. <laughs> so there, people are learning new habits, and you can't fix it by just fixing climate change. You've got to fix it immediately, because if you look at the levels of Lake Mead and Lake Powell, you're like, this is what, 40, 30% of what they're used to. This is not something you can wait to do a global fix. Mm -hmm. You have to fix it right now. Little incremental steps every step of the way. So maybe fewer golf courses or maybe rougher golf courses down in Arizona. But it's something we can't ignore and it has to go beyond this year. Yeah, thanks for your thoughts, everybody. Um, also this year, there was a lot of drama when it came to school boards and not just one or two, but there are a lot of stories this year we've talked about school boards. Krista, you've written a lot about this as well. well. As long as somebody is saying or doing something stupid, I have material for my column, so I'm all for drama. My favorite story, Woodland Park, little school district, they had a reform board come in, they're doing great work. And then the union gets mad, they try to stir up some trouble. One of these activists actually does a swatting of the wife of one of the board members. Swatting is when you call the police on somebody who hasn't done anything. So the, you know, the police surround this car. Turns out this woman hadn't done anything, and of course the person doing the swatting got arrested. And so that, you know, that's great drama, right? Then you've got drama on the Doug Coe School Board, where you've got kids taking the day off to ski. I mean, protest. And so we have all of the, you know, the news coverage all out there, and then the principal gets fired, and the guy has the audacity to say, "Oh." I I've been discriminated against. I, 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 it's a civil rights thing, dude. You're white. You're like a middle-aged white guy. Like, why? You can't allege that you've been discriminated against your your race for being fired. You got fired because the board didn't like your policies. And I will say that. And then, of course, Denver. And I'll let Patty unpack that. That is a. That, there's been a lot of shenanigans there as well. I will say this for Woodland Park and for Doug Coe is the drama has been significantly reduced. Looks like they've accepted the reform boards in both cases. There is a very likable superintendent at DEDCO, Aaron Kane. Things seem to simmer down a bit. So I, I kudos, because I think the one place you really don't want adult drama is in front of kids, and these, after all, are schools. Mm -hmm. I would just follow on that. I think what we've found over the past few years is our adult drama is playing out in our school board races and our school boards across the country. Colorado, unfortunately, no exception there. And the biggest losers are children, right, who are simply trying to get as good of a public school education as possible. You know, you could add to Aurora Public Schools on that list. Um, Rico Munn, who served for a, almost a decade in his role, incredibly admirable, incredibly innovative leader, is going to be stepping down. I think there's a lot of concern. It will feel similar to the Aurora Public, uh, excuse me, to the Aurora Police Chief search that has just dragged on and on. And we know that the unfortunate beneficiaries of that are just the community who don't have proper um, policing. And so the hope is that in my quest towards pushing us towards like ruthless pragmatism that school boards can find a way there. And it, it is good to see what's happened down south, but we need more of it up here in the metro area. Yes, because the drama continues with DPS. Well, true. It was hard to beat Dugco because that was really wild for a while. And in fact, one of the people who sued the Dugco school board wound up winning a seat in the state house. Very unlikely, Bob Marshall. So that'll be fun as we continue. But meanwhile, the action has again focused on Denver, where the school board, talk about drama, they could be teaching drama to all the schools in the Denver school for the, all the kids in the Denver School for the Arts. Because this behavior 
is so dysfunctional. There's some really serious problems, financial, in DPS. How are you going to make all, how can you get these schools solvent? That's even before you get to how do you educate the children in the schools well. And they can't even talk civilly in a school board meeting. So Denver has a lot to learn. And I think probably the kids could teach the school board members a lot. Yeah, hoping for better times for them in the new year, that's for sure. Well, one of the problems sometimes in schools is when you have neurotic adults imposing their neuroses on the kids. And that was a, a big controversy in the Douglas County schools uh, you know, last fall, uh, where students were being forced to wear masks in ridiculous situations. It was one thing to say, do that when the, the pandemic just started and, and people really didn't know much. But by 21, it was preposterous to say, you, you got to say a four-year-old with a learning disability who's forced to wear a mask and, and the teachers and everybody else are forced to wear a mask. If you want to wear a mask, fine, that's your choice. But when you force it on people, that makes language acquisition much, much harder for little kids, especially kids who are all, already have, have special needs issues. Uh, but the nice thing is, Doug Co. for whatever the board drama back and forth, most of the schools are generally functioning pretty well. You can't really say that in Denver. Um, but you could also say even the worst, most dysfunctional uh, school in, the Den in Denver, uh, at, at least they're doing better than the Denver School Board. Uh, Kwame, when you look back at 2022, you know, as a business owner, you know, you think about the cost of everything has gone up. Inflation, 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 and unfortunately, recession, recession, recession. I think those are themes that we are going to remember from the year 2022, whether it was gas prices or food at our grocery stores. We saw everything go up. And unfortunately, in 2022, it didn't go up at the price of wage increases, particularly for people who were at the lower end of wages uh, in Denver, in Colorado, and in the country. And so, you know, while we are celebrating a holiday period, this is a tougher holiday period for a large swath of this country. And so I think in 2023, how we navigate the fact that we are likely to stay in a continued recession um, and what policies the government and the Fed produce are going to be something to watch closely. I, I can tell you as a small business owner, um, the compression is real. Um, you saw significant increases in the cost of goods. Um, and quite frankly, the living wage needs of our employees. And so small businesses are feeling it. I think large businesses are feeling it. And it's something we're going to have to try to fix in 2023. And you've covered a lot of this. We have. Word. And part of it is right now, people are very happy to finally be able to get together, feel they can, with older people, with people who have more problems with more vulnerability to COVID, to the flu, to mm -hmm. everything else that's going out there. But after we're through this holiday season and after people look at their credit card charges and they begin to realize how they're going to have to tighten their belts in January and February, after probably tightening their belts a lot over the last year, we're going to see a lot of wariness, I think. And I hope we don't lose the small businesses that really make Denver a special place. There's so many entrepreneurs who come here or start their businesses here and really give this flavor. We talked about it two weeks ago. Denver's a really special place because so many people try to follow their dreams. We don't want to lose that. And it's going to be a tough 2023, mm. I think. I think so. Well, on, on inflation, the Nobel Prize winning economist Milton Friedman explained, inflation is always and everywhere a monetary phenomenon. 
in the sense that it is and can be produced only by a more rapid increase in the quantity of money than in output. So even though Governor Polis and the legislature have worked very hard and, and quite successfully to make home heating and electricity more expensive, the fundamental cause of today's inflation in Colorado goes back to the Trump and Biden administrations, their reckless deficit spending, and all the funny money that they then indirectly created to pay for it via the, the Federal Reserve. You know, if you want a certain level of government spending, you ought to pay for that amount of government spending with an equal amount of taxes. But instead, what we've got federally is an enormously high level of government spending and a reasonable level of taxation overall. And that difference, if you don't pay for it with taxes, you end up ultimately paying for it in the long run with inflation. Krista? So Milton Friedman, huh? I was sort of expecting Shakespeare. It's a little disappointing. Let's talk a little bit about economics. So inflation has everything to do with monetary policy. When you have too much money in the system and not enough goods, then that money is worth less than those goods. Uh, let's compare it with pens to mugs. So let's say a pen is worth a mug. And we're all around this table, we really wish we had mugs, we wish we had pens, and somebody comes and just dumps a ton of pens on the table, and they take away a couple of the mugs. That means that pens are really plentiful and mugs are fairly scarce. Now it's going to take a lot of pens to get one mug. Same goes for the economy. Congress tossed trillions of dollars into the economy, tons and tons of money, money they borrowed nonetheless, and yet goods became more scarce. We had fewer goods simply because there were supply chain issues and other problems. So now money is worth less than the goods. It's no longer uh, that money is worth what it used to be, and it takes a lot more money to get the goods that you want. And that's why when you go to the store, milk is more expensive, steak is more expensive, vegetables are more expensive. They are, they are the mugs in this scenario, and the dollars are the pens. And so shame on Congress, shame on the Biden administration, and shame on Trump. They shouldn't have known a, a little bit more about economics before they took up those bills. So there were our top four stories for the year, but now I would like to get to the good and the bad that we've all witnessed lately throughout the year, wh whatever you choose. Call it the naughty and nice, or who's on Santa's naughty list, or what disappointed you? Let's start with the disappointments, the naughty of the year or of this week. It doesn't matter. Oh, I'm going with a tried and true naughty, naughty person, Lauren Boebert. <laughs> and we saw, um, she probably was my naughty person last year. We saw just she almost got her comeuppance for being such a naughty, nasty, <coughs> really not very smart and sensitive politician or person. And she almost got beaten by Adam Frisch, which no one would have predicted going into that election. We can only hope that she finds a little more heart, a little more soul, and starts understanding her constituents, not to mention the rest of America, more in the new year. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah. David? I'm no more optimistic about that one than I am about the uh, Jeffries-McCarthy uh, cooperate, bipartisan cooperation. Um, Worse than naughty, the uh, the growing prevalence of anti-Semitism, uh, including among some politicians, and that includes in Colorado, and especially those who deny Israel's right to exist. I'm going to give uh, my naughty list uh, the, a bunch of people, a bunch of yahoos, if you will. I'm not sure that's their uh, what they call themselves, but they, a bunch of people who lost in the primaries, the Ron Hanks of the world, the Tina Peters, I guess decided to form their own little, I don't know you call it, a Republican 
insurgency. I don't know if they like that title, but they, uh, they, they're basically trying to take back the Republican Party for Trump-like candidates. And I'm thinking maybe they didn't win, they didn't uh, like learn the lesson of this election. Yeah. Football. <laughs> What's going on in our state? I mean, epically bad years for the Buffaloes. I know Coach Prime is coming, so I'm optimistic about that not as optimistic about the future of our favorite football team, the Denver Broncos, but it's just been an ugly, sad year. And, and it's not just watching the teams. It actually affects the local economy. People going out, people celebrating, people watching the games, buying the merchandise, all of that actually um, trickles down to our state. And so it's, it's a huge mess and a huge opportunity in 2023. Mm -hmm. All right, let's talk about something good, shall we? I'm gonna say something nice. Um, we have seen a lot of changes around this table over the last year. In fact, we've seen the table change over the last year. <laughs> but what is consistent is the nice people in Denver who come up and say how much they appreciate this show, how much they appreciate civil discourse around the table, talking about current events. So something eternally nice for our audience at Colorado Inside Out. Yeah, I like that. It is a great audience, and I'm glad to be here. <laughs> Uh, Paul Pazin, who retired as Denver police chief this year, when there were the, the really huge, peaceful pro protesters, lots of them, on the streets in, in Denver in the summer of 2020, there were within them a fairly large subset of criminals who tried to burn and loot and destroy. And in Denver, unlike a lot of other cities, the thin blue line held. There was no building burned. Gangs tried to set up autonomous zones uh, for 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 their gang activity, as they did in Seattle and, and Portland. But in Denver, the police department and Chief pays and stopped them. Okay, good. Everyone here is on my nice list. Oh. This is choke cherry jam. Choke cherry is a native uh, tree here in Colorado. It tastes a little bit like, uh, like red wine and chocolate. So enjoy. And you made this? I did. I like to make stuff. Well, you're so on the nice list. Right? Wow, <laughs> thank you. Thanks so much. I can't follow that. No, That's good absolutely luck. insane. I <laughs> <laughs> I, I was going to uh, thank democracy, which is my best attempt at that. You know, I think if you go back to the beginning of 2021, our capital was almost sieged. Yeah. And here we are in 2022. I think one of the smartest things that Democrats and President Biden did um, right before the midterms, as I said, this is actually a referendum on democracy. And I think they were able to win a lot of races that maybe they would have lost if they hadn't brought up that point. So I, I think we should feel incredibly strong and incredibly proud of our democratic state and know that we've got to keep working to maintain it in 2023. You've brought a really lot of good insightful things to think about for me tonight. And I've got jam. And we've got jam for it. That's your parting prize. Thank you. Thank you all for sharing tonight. And also, as Patty said, thanks to uh, our audience. And I have to say thanks to our decor team who decorated for the holidays. We love it. I don't know if the viewers have noticed every week but we also are playing around with some Colorado themed or holiday themed as this week items over on our wall behind Kristen, David and Kwame and of course every week we'd love to hear from our viewers here on Colorado Inside Out. You can share your ideas and comments anytime on our social media pages or you can always email us at CIO at PBS12.org. One more reminder you can catch Colorado Inside Out anytime on YouTube or on PBS12. I'm Kyle Dyer. Thank you for watching Colorado Inside Out. Enjoy the special weekend that is now here. And then we'll see you next week for our last show before we ring in a new year. Have a good night.